Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is MTT Wizard and PokerCoaching.com coach, Matt Affleck. Matt has over $4 million in live and online tournament caches in his career with no plans of slowing down anytime soon. Just a few of his career highlights include a gold medal victory in a $3,150 scoop event for 550k, a 264k victory in the $2,500 main event at the Coco Poker Open, and a $139,000 first place finish in a $1,500 event at the Winfall Classic. Matt was extremely easy to talk to, and his pure passion for the game shines through bright and clear. It's easy to see why he's been able to sustain such a high level of success for as long as he has. Also, to give you a little more perspective as to how Matt operates, here's a little behind-the-scenes tidbit. After we stopped recording, Matt wanted to pick my brain on some different coaching techniques and methodologies, and we ended up talking shop for maybe another 30 minutes after. I only mention this because in my humble opinion, this is the trait of a human being who pursues excellence in whatever venture they dive into. If you truly want to draw from a deeper well in the avenue with which you are chasing greatness, finding folks who are already deeper in the forest than you and asking their opinion is one of the most impactful things you can do to expedite the learning process. With that said, today you're going to learn a greatness bomb from Matt on efficiently using solvers to improve your MTT game, wise words on how to structure your off days so that you can maintain your energy levels, a hilarious story about the odd place in which Matt was sitting when he won his scoop for over 550k, here's a hint, no celebrations were allowed, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you long-time multi-table tournament crusher, Matt Affleck. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you doing, sir? Good. Doing, doing very well today. So um, yeah, everything is well. I had a good day yesterday. And uh, Why are you doing so good. well today? Uh, I had my biggest online post- Black Friday score yesterday. Pretty confident that's the biggest online score. So, um, yeah, I won a big tournament on ACR yesterday. So, pretty happy with that. <laughs> How much we rake in? Um, I won <clears throat> uh, two hundred. Like, ended up being like a two hundred k prize pool for <laughs> thirty five. So, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Felt pretty good. <laughs> I could imagine. So today. Today's just a free roll. Like we Yeah, I was supposed to play today and I'm like so um I started whenever I have like really good sessions or normally end up um at first I thought it was a I wasn't focusing after winning the day after, 
but it's really, I think, just like an energy thing because your your best sessions end up normally being your longest sessions. And it's just like an energy drain. Um, and so whenever I have a really good session, I'll normally just take the next day off um, just for an energy standpoint. I, I just find I normally don't, I'm not able to put like a full focus session in. So normally um, I do play Fridays, um, but yeah, now we're off today. So <laughs> Yeah, I had a, an interview with a good friend of mine, Adam Creek, and he talked about the adrenaline dump and how it can stay in our body. And it just feels rough. Like it feels a little foggy, a little sluggish the day after. And I have to assume that, you know, as you're focusing more and more and the intensity ramps up, which let's be honest, I have to imagine focus and intensity are much higher when you're at a final table than like with a thousand runners left. Yeah, uh, yeah of course. It's going to be a, a big use of resources, then a big adrenaline dump when, when it all ends. Yeah. And, um, I was actually talking to Elliot Rowe and it was kind of like, I asked him like, you know, I, I've noticed just Mondays, like I find that a, my results aren't good, but B like kind of my session cooldowns, like, I'm just kind of right. Like, I didn't focus very well today. I would say, you know, what's like, uh, obviously it's like maybe harder to focus after I win money. I'm like a little content, maybe like that. And he's like, you know, it's probably just uh, energy. <laughs> like yep. Sundays are very, very long days. So now I take mon- Mondays. Um, Mondays are an off day and then I take Saturdays off before Sundays. Um, just for that whole energy aspect of uh, playing online tournaments. It's a, you know, a long grind. So. For sure. And I think that speaks volumes as to like where you're at in your poker career or where somebody is when they're consciously aware of how they feel, where their energy levels are at from a day-to-day basis and kind of see those patterns. One of the, one of the things that I've noticed when I play cash, interestingly, is that when I get stuck four or five buy-ins right out of the gate, my sessions are historically longer than if I win five or six buy-ins right out of the gate, right? And this is so contrary to like all poker literature, everything you read. And at some point, I just kind of realized that it's almost as if I feel like I'm a fighter when I'm down four to four or five buy-ins. It's like I'm walking down the street and somebody just pushed me down on the ground. And like, now I'm going to fight. And it actually makes me focus more. And I still feel confident that I'm not tilting, but I have more energy. And so I've learned that just embrace that feeling whenever it happens for me. If I'm stuck four to five buy-ins, my focus ramps up. I'm not just punting off stacks or anything. Just use it, play an extra long session. And um, yeah, increase the average length of your sessions if, if that's how you feel. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Um, whereas like in tournaments and stuff, whenever I'm in a downswing, like I'm motivated to play more. Like I, a lot of people like take time off and stuff. Like I study more, I play more. It's like, it's almost like a, you need to work harder. Like you need a um, type of mentality. Like yesterday session didn't start too too well. I think I was in like four buy-ins in this tournament in the first like hour, you know, busted a couple other, like, you know, 100s and 200s. It was like rebuying and stuff. I'm like, uh Oh, this is going to (laughs) be, this could get, you know, get to be an expensive session. And then kind of just kept grinding, was feeling good. I'm like, on my breaks, I'm like, yep, I'm feeling good. I'm playing well. Like, hasn't gone too well so far, but just keep grinding. You don't know what any of these, you know, 12 tournaments, one of them could 
you know, work out. It's just putting yourself in the opportunity. So, yeah, man, it's, uh, I love that. And it's, it's just so different than like the ivory tower advice that is typically given to poker players. And yeah, I, I used to feel bad that I was that way, that my body felt that way. And that was how I constructed my sessions. But as I've matured some, I'm just like, just lean into it, man. It's just energy. Like, and if, yeah. you ha- if you have a surplus of energy, use it. You'd be a fool not to use a surplus of energy. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I had to like um, Tuesday and I've gotten a lot better at this in the past where I woke up, kind of went through my morning routine, and I was just like, I'm not feeling it today, which is something I, I normally, I'm not someone that takes time off a lot. I'm a five day a week player pretty much every, all the time. Don't take like a month off. I don't think I've never taken a month off of poker in 12 years or two weeks off, three weeks off type of thing. And I was just like, I don't have it. And I used to in the past with like, whatever, I'm going to play through it today. And then, but like Tuesday, I've gotten better. I'm like, you know what? I just don't have the energy today and it's going to lead to probably suboptimal results. So I took the day off, kind of took care of myself, came back Wednesdays, like a coaching slash I do content for poker coaching. And yesterday was like the first day back. And I was just like, felt very fresh, like renewed energy and stuff. So it's something I've gotten better at and just being aware of what my energy levels are. And also like being aware when they're lower, like I need to fight through it. And then potentially when they are lower, like taking the day off. Um, if it's, if I'm not going to be able to, um, and this is specific, you know, it's like specific to the player because some people are looking for any excuse to take a day off. And so they rationalize, Oh, my energy, I don't really feel like it. You know, that's a that's a whole different ball game than what we're talking about. So don't like, if you have problem with volume, don't just, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I'm going to take all the days off now. No, we're not talking about you. (laughs) We're talking about like, basically it's a mindset problem too when you play and your energy levels are low and then you start performing under your capabilities then you start you're like mm, i knew i shouldn't have played today and then results maybe don't go your way and you're like god you start having this like self-flagellation that makes you feel worse and just overall just not a great place to be when your energy levels are low and you're you're not on your a game yeah i had it like about maybe two and a half months into quarantine, like I've been playing five, six days a week, you know, 12 hour sessions every day. And I was fine. Like I hit that mark. I'm like, my energy's not there. I'm taking the day off. And then the next day it still wasn't there. And it ended up being like probably like three days off that I took. And it was just like, came back and like, wow, I like, you don't realize it until like probably after the fact, how much you needed it. Yep. And I've, I've said it many times on this show, but it's like you're lifting weights, right? You do yep. a rep. You can't, you, you do five reps, you can't get another rep no matter what you do, but then you put the weight down, you take a minute break, and then you can get some more reps. Like poker is the exact same. Sometimes you just need to take a break so that you can do more reps. And there's no, you know, there's no shame in that. It's just how, how we're made as human beings. Yeah, it kind of, it took me a little while to get over that. And I was like, sometimes when I would take a day off, I'd feel like, oh, I'm lazy. Like, this is like why am I not working today and stuff? And it's like, it took, it took some time to like get over that. And then now it's like, okay, I realized, you know, looking long-term and stuff that it's just. Why'd you feel that way? Managing. Um, I don't know. I've always tried to been like, I've been a person that's really never taken a lot of time off of poker. Um, like I can't maybe like 
two weeks or something for like a vacation or something is like the longest I've ever taken off. And I've always been, you know, a five day a week grinder, um, try to play 40 hours a week plus studying and stuff. And it's just kind of like, if I'm, I, I, I'm a, a scheduler now, like schedule my week out and stuff. And like, Oh, I'm supposed to work today. Like I'm taking today off now. Like I, sometimes like, it, you know, and then now it's kind of, all right. I realize it's, you know, I put out a lot of energy kind of like, this is probably not like some people are going to take this example the best way, the wrong way. But if you look at like NBA or anything like that, like a team on a night, on a back-to-back on the second night is not going to play as well as the first night. Of course. It's just a simple energy factor. And it's kind of like in poker, it's not physical. I mean, there is physical energy, but there's like the mental energy is like probably as much as like, for example, maybe like a physical athlete puts out there like mentally like it's the same type of like uh not expenditure damage, but like yeah expenditure on the brain yep and i've talked about it on the show before too about chess players and how chess players when they play a tournament that's extremely intense they burn like five or six thousand calories a day yeah, I read just that. sitting crazy. right across from each other right the same thing is true in poker like mm-hmm. this is I, I always used to feel weak when i would end a session and, and I'm like, my brain is made of mush and like, I can't really communicate and I'm just physically exhausted. And I used to think, man, I'm so weak. Like, why can't I just be like Nanonoko and just play like 12 hours a day of 20 tables and like, just be fine and a normal human being. And I just realized like, he has some sort of genetic blessing that allows him to, yeah. to do that and perform in that way that I just don't have. And we have to work within our own capabilities as human beings um, and just don't feel bad if that's your physical, you know, if that's your genetic makeup basically. Yep. No, a hundred percent. And I'm very like grateful and I'm happy. Like I'm one of those poker players that like loves to play every day. Like I've seen over time, you know, there's a lot of poker players that are, it's just like a means to the end of them. They don't enjoy it. They don't like it. They don't have fun doing it. They look miserable. And it's like, that's like, not me. I'm just excited, fun, more interested in the game than ever right yep. now and stuff. So it's, uh, I'm like very happy, happy and like grateful for that. Cause I don't think there's a lot of players, like there's a lot of professional players, but I don't think like a lot of professional players have that like hundred percent passion where they like, just love it. I agree. They don't. I think I'm one of them that doesn't just love it every single day in the cash game arena, showing up and like playing a thousand hands of six max that I've played millions and millions and millions of hands of over the, you know, it can, it it can become a grind. And when your returns start becoming diminishing, where it's like in the beginning, you're like, hell yeah, I'm a work. Exactly. I'm a, I'm a do everything I can. I'm obsessed. I'm immersed. And then you reach the point where like, okay, I'm a pro and I'm making money. This is great. I don't have to work another day of my life. And then at some point, it's like the returns, you don't grow as much as you used to. It's like you improve deeper in the decision tree. That's like cool for increasing your win rate a nominal amount, but doesn't really make a massive difference. I think just the experience of learning and growing is something that is really undervalued in by professional poker players, like learning new games, learning new theory, trying different, uh, you know, styles going going to mtt's learning pot limit omaha that sort of thing yeah and um kind of what you said is why i I made the decision to just like i ended up now just specializing in tournaments and i used to play a lot of cash i played a lot of live cash post black friday i didn't move out of the country i just 
started playing live cash for probably, you know, four years, five years. Um, I went through some spurts in the last couple of years where I switched to like six max online cash, you know, eight tabling that. And I just didn't love it. And it was kind of that, I think personally for me, like cash game, there's a little more monotony where it's like kind of the same situations pop up over and over again. And it felt a lot more, I didn't get that excitement level. And I tried to switch to cash because I think it makes a lot more sense where like the stakes I'm playing, my hourly is going to be roughly about the same playing cash in tournaments. And uh, obviously you're going to have a lot lower variance in cash games. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. Like why would I have play and, for more variants and a but, stable stable schedule too exactly and i loved being able to like for a while i was playing like three hours in the morning i would take a break i could make lunch walk the dog play two two more hours three more hours at night but it was just um i could keep it up for like a week or so two weeks and then it was just like i burnt out a lot quicker and i just didn't enjoy the grind as much versus I just found out, like, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to screw that, like, mentality. It's just, I love tournaments, and I love the the situations are always changing. There's, yep. You know, you need to know, like, studying, like, six different stack depths, studying different, you know, situations, all the, like, I've been doing a lot of, like, ICM study lately, and it's, like, ICM's interesting because it's never, it's not something you can, like, implement straight into your game it's like you have to understand the ideas and be able to like imply it to the game because there's never going to be the same two situations twice in any situation with icm versus with stack sizes and payouts and stuff and so like just all these situations that are constantly pop up and they allow for really like creative thinking um is just what intrigues me in tournaments the the fact that and they that adrenaline rush um you know the excitement of the tournaments and i do love like I think live cash is great. Like I, I wouldn't go to playing like online six max and I still like, once pandemic's over and stuff like, yeah, I'll, I'll go and play live cash for a couple of weeks and stuff. Like I do enjoy live cash because you can play deeper. It's more, you got the uh, social interaction. It's a lot more interesting that way. I think because you don't have to play robotic like you would online and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, a lot more unknowns with live and then there's more information you can use to, to yeah. make your decisions. I love the social aspect of it too. Yeah. I didn't play a ton before pandemic. I think I had taken like four years off because I live in Atlanta. So yeah, that, it's like a dead zone here. I, you know, I, I moved to Atlanta because I met my wife and we got married and it's like, okay, I have online poker and I'm just going to stick with that. What I have found though is where the passion is kind of, yeah, with playing and grinding every single day, I am passionate about coaching. I am passionate about helping guys and seeing them make the gains that were happening like earlier on in my career. That's something that really pumps me up. And also when I take time off to, you know, make the podcast, create content, do coaching, I find, oh yeah, this is cool. I'm going to play a few hour session. I kind of look forward to it because it's not something that I'm doing every single day. So it just feels a little different, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I started coaching. Uh, I got back into coaching last year. And um, it's really, first I found out like coaching helps me a lot. And yep. it helps identify some weaknesses in my thinking. It helps um, my development as a player. And it's also a skill like I'm working on. Like coaching is like, a, it's a skill and it's, it's difficult. Like I'm not probably the best tournament coach. 
right now. Like I'm working on improving, improving, improve. Like it, it's something that is, um, and I'm always asking my students for like feedback, you know, uh, I want honest feedback in, in terms of, and I think it's very, it's a difficult skill to take a complex situation and being able to describe it in a very simple and understandable um, context. Absolutely. And I know that in, in my world, in the cash game world, there's extremely complex things that need to be broken down in a simple to understand way that is extremely difficult, which means I get to think about them a lot. And how do I want to teach this? How do I want to describe this in an understandable way? And we just had, uh, I just had Kevin Rabichow on the show and release his episode today. But, you know, he, he said in there, High stakes, a high level crusher does not mean high level coach. Like exactly, does just because you hire Phil Ivy and pay him ten thousand dollars an hour to coach you does not mean you're getting ten thousand dollars worth of value because coaching and playing are two different skill sets. And you can actually be not the best poker player in the world, but be an amazing, amazing 100%. coach. And there's like, I think there's there's people that I, I watch stuff where I'm like, okay, I think I have an edge on this player and stuff, but I think they're a very, very good coach. Um, like on various, you know, sites, whatever videos that I watch and stuff, you know, but I think they, certain people are like very, very good coaches. I agree with that. They might, yep. they might be like a just average reg, but they're an extremely effective, good coach. Right. Because like, like we just said, Simplifying complex ideas to explain to other people is a lot of work and requires a lot of thoughtful reflection by the coach. And Mm -hmm. I'm using Phil Ivey as an example. I'm not picking on Phil Ivey, but it's like, why should Phil Ivey even take the time to break down his complex decision-making process in a way that is understandable by us mere mortals, right? Like it's a waste waste of his energy and a waste of his time. So he's just not going to spend any time doing it which means that he's probably not going to be a great coach, which takes nothing away from the man. Of course. It's, it's just uh, where are you going to spend your energy, you know? Yep. I completely agree. And so. yeah, so I, I, we went, <laughs> this is not how the show normally starts out. We just, <laughs> we, we just started out talking and went down a, a little tangent, but um, normally we start out by me asking you, what's the story of you playing cards? Can you tell me that about your journey? So it's nothing too exciting. Kind of the standard that you've probably heard a hundred times on this show. But I mean, uh, I was in high school when Moneymaker, I think, was on. Uh, what year was Moneymaker? Oh, oh, four, I believe. Maybe five. Maybe oh, three. I think oh, yeah, five was uh, Fossil Man. Yeah. So uh, I was in high school watching with friends and stuff. Started playing, you know, little home games with friends in high school, $5 tournaments, you know, got $1. We'd be, you know, our friends would get some money online somehow and I'd be begging them to get me a transfer, $1 transfer and stuff. And I'd be grinding one cent, two cent online and stuff. And then kind of throughout high school, it just kind of grew where it was like, started out as $5 home games then it was $10 and it was like a hundred dollar little cash game. And then by the time like junior, we were playing like, you know, $25, $50 sitting goes at lunch. <laughs> there we were gambling, you know, it was um, kind of, it just kind of grew throughout high school. How important was it that you were playing with your friends? Looking back at it now, it was like, so the group I was playing with, there's like five professional poker players right now. <laughs> yeah. And like um, some of them, like they're not like household names, but 
like three of them have like over a million dollars in earnings and stuff. Like, <laughs> so it's a pretty crazy looking back at it now. And it was like, yeah, it was just like fun playing gambling, playing cards and stuff with friends. It was good. Um, this is the same. It's like the Fedor Holtz effect. When I had him on the show and we talked about, you know, he, he said he lived with, there was 10 people that he lived with in Germany and they did not start out as super high level crushers. After a year, all 10 of them were in the top 100 MTT players in the world, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's not a coincidence. You know, it's not a coincidence that I'm sure you and five of your friends are pros now because you, you basically, you built each other. You helped each other out. You gave each other wisdom. Um, you studied together, you grew, and you, you just can't really, you gain so much experience in such a short time when like one of you will put in so many hours, learn an important lesson, and then teach it to everybody else. There, you, you can't really put a price on the value that you gain. Yeah. So by the time high school ended, I was going to, the, I'd gotten into, I was going to go to University of Washington. I grew up in Seattle. So that's kind of where I always wanted to go to school. And I remember having the conversation, I guess, kind of with my parents was like, I was working at a grocery store, you know, um, pushing carts, bagging groceries, all that type of stuff. And I was like, kind of, I'm making more money playing poker than I am ten dollars an hour and I don't remember what my bankroll was at the time like I had I had no bankroll management so at that time but I probably had like you know five thousand to ten thousand I had one I think one tournament for 10k on party um at by by that time and so I was like I want to like enjoy college I don't want to have to have a job and stuff so I would prefer like I'd rather like I I think I'm gonna I want to quit my job before I go to school and um I ended up like semi convincing them to do that was able to like quit my job playing poker like i had won one big tournament for like 10k at that point what, so i was what kind do you of mean like by, what do you mean by semi convincing them like they were like okay more like okay you can focus on school and stuff like i'm like my that was my argument like i want to just you know i can focus on school i want to be you know enjoy college not have to worry about like the job while i'm there and so um was that genuine or disingenuous Where, it was, was like it? it was it was genuine it was it was, it was <laughs> genuine like at this point my parents had known like you know i was oh i'm gonna borrow my, my 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 parents car to go to my friend's house you know and i was going to the casino to play three six limit hold them and stuff so it was you know they knew poker was like a serious thing and that was kind of the first point of like okay this is not like this is a serious hobby not like uh you know and they, they knew about poker but i don't know if they still like they thought i was like a degenerate gambler or anything <laughs> at that point which yeah. so uh, uh, but by the time like freshman year of college hit I, I was 20 tabling like i was probably at like the 27 dollars sitting goes like what year was there maybe the 60s uh 06 07 nice. probably so i was like a sit and go grinder and i would play mtts too but um, yeah, I basically through college was grinding sit and goes like I was a good student in college, went to all my classes, wasn't like skipping classes for poker or anything like that. I had like a 3.8 GPA and stuff and would go to go to classes, do my work and stuff. But I would also like schedule my stuff around poker. Yeah. So um, did you did you, you graduated? You got your degree? Yeah, I graduated. Um, so freshman, sophomore year, 
um, still grinding poker a lot. And then junior year was kind of my big breakout online in poker and had mass huge win. Um, I won it. That was the year in Oh nine. I won a scoop event um, that year. And How did I that had change like a, things? I had like a 35 K bankroll, 30 K bankroll won a hundred or $200 satellite to a two K scoop event. Tried to sell action to a couple of friends. And, uh, and then um, I won a scoop event for back then they were massive. So I won a huge scoop event at that time. That was junior year of college. How and much was, was it kinda, for? Uh, almost 500,000. That's an okay like, day. Yeah. Um, there's actually a funny story. About this. So I lived in a fraternity and our, you can imagine the internet situation in a house with 65 guys in it. And like day one, I don't even remember kind of how the tournament went, but on day two, there's probably, you know, 27 left, 18 left, something like that. Internet went out at our fraternity. <laughs> and I remember like basically spent like one minute, seeing if I could get it fixed and then went full on run to the library on campus, which was like probably three quarters of a mile, <laughs> half a mile. And like, why didn't you take a car? Why are you running? Well, it's like parking on campus and all that stuff is just like going to take way longer. Yeah. Um, and so it was probably like, you know, seven, I, I was winded <laughs> and in the library, you could rent these um, like private study rooms basically. So I rented one and I grinded the whole thing in there and I won 500,000 in the library on campus while there's other people like studying, you know, I don't even know what day of the week it was, if it was a weekday or weekend and stuff. And I just remember walking home, walking back to the fraternity with this shit eating, there's probably this shit eating grin on my face while I'm walking back and stuff. Yeah. So, you, you just won half a million dollars. Yeah. You, I like called my mom. She didn't believe me. Like texting friends in the fraternity, like, let's go get everyone ready. We're going out. Like, did you, so. uh, did you break any library rules? Any yelling in the library? No, I was like, I was very <laughs> close to the laptop. There was a few fist pumps and then it was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> kind of got out of there. So, Wow, that is a great story. So your life kind of, I would imagine that's, it's not life changing money, but it's life altering as far as yeah, your, I your mean, tournament poker career. How did things year, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was 21 years old with way too much money for a 21 year old and I wasn't like ever like go out and buy and do stupid stuff like that like um kept grinding but like went to the world series that was the first year I played the world series um that summer was the year I got 90th in the main event or 80th somewhere around that That was the first year I played the main event where I was chip leader at with on like day four of the main ended up getting 80th and Going into senior year, I pretty much knew that. Um, so when I went into college my freshman year, I was going to be a finance major or accounting somewhere in business. And guys in my fraternity were getting $25,000 signing bonuses from Goldman Sachs to take a job because they just wanted to hire everyone they could in 2006. 2010 was pretty much the bottom of the financial markets. And oh, oh, different world. There was like one, there were, there was a thousand people applying for one job. Wow. And I had spent my summers playing poker rather than doing internships. So I was going to be at a severe disadvantage there. 
And so I was kind of like, okay, I'm probably going to give this a try after college. You're just so, running, running good across the board. Yeah. Um, what'd your mom say, by the way, when you told her you won half a million? Um, I don't even know if she believed me. I think it was like, oh, wow. Good job. You know, <laughs> like, I, I think she was, she was excited, but like, she's like, you won. How much did you win? I'm like, oh, like a half a million and stuff. Like, I don't even know how, like, it's, it's, um, like we, we grew up in like a very kind of, uh, I don't know if I want to say normal, but like, you know, both parents worked, we had good, I was very fortunate growing up and stuff, um, in the situation I was growing up with and stuff, but like that type of money is like, I don't think my parents, like they don't, they don't know that type of money at all. So it's like, um, I don't think it was like, kind of like, it's something I don't think ever really hit them type of thing. Hard to process. Yeah. 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 It'd be hard to process for my family if I was 21 and binked for half a million dollars. I mean, that's, that's something that we think about like pro athletes getting a signing bonus or something when they join like an NFL team, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of money for a 21 year old. Did you, were you responsible? Did we hold on to the money? Uh, what is, how'd the poker career go no. from there? It, I mean, it went well, but I was playing a lot. So my favorite thing about online poker was playing EPT satellites, Saturday mornings. And um, so cool. Like, Going into senior year, I had won a satellite, the EPT Barcelona, of where uh, the tournament overlapped with like the first week of the semester. And I remember texting one of my professors who I'd had before, and I think at this time he knew I played poker. And I was like, I'm going to be out of the country. I'm going to miss the first three classes. Um, don't drop me from the class. I'm in it. And he's like, well, we have a – we have a." Um, a midterm, the fifth class, and you're not going to pass it if you're not in the first three classes. And I'm the type of, yes, I will. <laughs> so what I would do is like, like 10 hour flight to Europe. I studied for seven hours. I, I had all the slides, read the books, all that stuff, came back, got like a 90 on the midterm, kind of like a F you to him and stuff. And um, that was kind of what happened. like senior year. I'd want to, I set up my classes in business school. We could do, you did uh, two two hours twice a, twice a week for your classes. And I set it up where all three of my classes were on the same day. So I think I did Mondays and Wednesdays or Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I only went to class two days a week and it was Mondays and Thursdays because Martin Luther King day. See, there's no classes on the Monday. And I had won a satellite to go play EPT Deauville. And I had set it up where I left after my Wednesday class, what flew to Paris that night, miss Monday was the holiday. And then I missed the Wednesday classes and I was back for the Monday. So I went on an 11 day trip to France, played an EPT event <laughs> and missed one day of class <laughs> during that's college. Pretty, that's pretty good. Pretty that good was, scheduling. Was, uh, yeah. So I was kind of scheduling stuff. I, I graduated senior year. Um, why'd you, why'd you love the EPTs? Why'd you want to play in those? A, they were really soft back then. The, the tournaments were really soft. It was just kind of cool. Like I would wake up on a Saturday morning. I, I remember like, it's one of the, cities they used to play i didn't even know where it was like i would play satellites to these tournaments where i didn't even know where they were sometimes <laughs> like obviously i know where like barcelona and stuff it was like sure. estonia like i've heard of it but i don't really know where in europe it is like all right we're playing this satellite um there was the one in poland warsaw i at first i was like i had to look up where warsaw was <laughs> which and like i was playing satellites so i didn't go to that one but um i probably played like six EPTs, six or seven of them and so um 
that's where a lot of the bankroll went. Like I was playing satellites, you know, rebuying some of the main events and stuff. So I was playing way out of my bankroll with live yeah. poker. And I frankly probably wasn't very good at the time. So um pretty common, I would say, to for people to hit a big score and then just be like, oh, cool. Yeah. Now, yeah, now, I'm, I, now I'm in the five and 10 Ks. Let's go. I think it stunted my growth a lot. Um, winning a lot of money early on in poker, I think uh, definitely stunted my growth. Could you, could you just talk, kind of, talk about that? Yeah. I mean, so 2009, I won the scoop event. And then 2010 is when I got 15th in the main event. And at that point, I'm just kind of like, this is pretty easy. You're just going to get a big score every year. Just, you know, it's just fire. And I, I was, I was firing some EPTs. Um, like I was doing well, but just like travel expenses were just insane and stuff. And I wasn't at the point in my career where I was like, you know, very cognizant of that and stuff like the EPT, ho- the Barcelona hotel, I think was like 400 a night or something, 300 a night. I don't remember with the package, you know, PCA, like all that stuff. is just like, it's so expensive to travel. Yep. I think I was running like, I'm trying to remember tax probably like 40 K a year in expenses. Maybe, maybe more. I can't remember exactly, but it was really expensive. Um, and when you're like that young and like, I guess winning a lot of money, it's kind of like, this is really easy. Like, why would I study? Like just going to play, just yep. keep playing and it's going to happen. And um, at that point, like online poker was shut down. We're getting getting ready to shut down. Um, it shut down in Washington State before everywhere else, which was actually semi lucky because I didn't really have any money online during Black Friday. But like I wasn't playing online then um, anymore, so it was kind of uh, that that like stunted the growth as well, not being able to play online. Um, yeah. So just kind of a combination of just feeling invincible type of thing. So well, I mean you relatively early in your career and you just rip off half a million, right? I I imagine thinking about somebody like Chris Moneymaker, right? Like he wins the WSOP main in his first live tournament ever. And is he a significantly better poker player than when he regs day one, than when he wins it on day five? The answer to anybody in poker is obviously not, right? He's obviously hasn't significantly improved, but then the perception and the media and the portrayal is world champion, best in the world. You know, like, and I imagine that like, as a human being, it's hard to not let that kind of go to your head and start being like, you know what? I believe the hype. I am good. I am great at this game, right? Yep. Not saying that that happened with Chris. I'm just saying it's an easy trap to fall into. Yeah, and I think to chris's credit right now like i actually think he like works on his game right now and is actually trying to improve and stuff so i mean for someone that's obviously had a successful career outside of poker and obviously like a successful poker career like i think he's done some stuff since then as well like and i think he works on his game and stuff so yeah that's um i think he was like got coaching from like was it mckeon like through chances program one of the he was one of the students, I think, in Chance's program for a while and stuff. It's kind of kind of cool, like self-awareness where he just was like, okay, like I don't think he's doing it for the money. Maybe he needed the money. Like I'm assuming he didn't. He doesn't play professionally. He probably has a lot of money. He was yeah. working on his game because he wanted to improve. Uh, more so, this is like the two years following, right? <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the year following the win, is he getting coaching? 
typically I, I found that. Like, no, no, I don't think. No, no, I think this is like in the last like three, three, three years or something like that. Years, yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Like n- none of my students that come to me that pay for coaching are like coming to me while they're just crushing everybody's souls and like ripping off 20 BBs per hundred over like a 50 K sample. No, nobody comes to me when that's happening. They come to me when they're struggling, when they're on a massive downswing and they need help. Right. Which I think is a fundamental problem of just how folks approach poker coaching and poker education basically. But that's just kind of how it happens. We, we, we don't want help when everything's going our way. We want help when everything's falling apart. Yeah. Um, what you said is actually something I've thought about a lot recently. And this year, like online has been like, I'm having my highest win rates. I've been studying more than I've ever studied kind of the top of my game and kind of system I've put in place. So like, all right, if, and when I have like a significant score. So for example, now I got to try to implement this system and see if it works. I'm like, um, like a certain percentage of that is going to go into like my coaching fund for money to improve. Like right now I'm probably, I've been thinking about for like the last month, like thinking about a few people potentially for hiring as a coach. And now that's probably going to take place. And what you said, like, I think now it's like, I tell my students this, like, obviously like private coaching one-on-one isn't cheap. And there's more, if you're like learning the fundamentals, there's more efficient ways to get better. And I send students to various online, you know, I send them to pokercoaching.com where I'm a trainer. Like you're going to get way more higher return on investment, go through all the content then first read that there's still there's a couple of good poker books out there that are you know for a 20 dollar investment you're going to get a great great return on that investment private coaching is for that like next step and i tell my students i want you to reinvest in me as a coach when you win like one of my students just won a tournament for like five thousand, like online i'm like great that's you know i think now is the time to like reinvest in that i don't want you to reinvest while you're like getting crushed and stuff because a then it's taking more of a hit on your bankroll. I don't want to eat into your bankroll as a poker coach. I want to help build your bankroll. And there's other things going on when you're in a downswing that I'm not even probably going to be able to help with. So, Yep. I, I'm going to agree and disagree. So here's where I'm going to disagree. Like I agree that they're amazing resources, right? For much lower price points than private coaching because private coaching by nature is you know you're buying an hour of an expert's time and that's just going to be more expensive than yep. when you watch a video that's uploaded on a site or go through some program. The problem is when you're scale like that, folks will watch the videos but not be held accountable to implementing what they're learning. 100%. And private coaches hold you accountable to make sure you're studying and learning the right things. And lots of folks can get off path. They study the wrong things that are highly inefficient. They have problems that they're not even aware that they have. And so they just start skipping steps and like private coaching can kind of resolve that. So I do think like, I I, I know what you're saying. It's just, I've seen it too many times where like one of my students right now, who's made the most gains out of anybody I've ever coached. It's insane over the last six months, how much he's grown as a player. He had all the training and watched all the videos for a year and was like obsessed and just wasn't improving as a player. Um, and he just needed somebody to kind of hold his hand and say, no, study this. No, you're thinking about it wrong. Like this is the priority. When he had that direction, it was just so instrumental to his growth. 
Yep. A hundred percent. I completely, I, I agree with what you, what you say there. And I, I, I think um, I giving my, my uh, students homework and stuff. Yep. is very, very good. And I had a new student yesterday. I was doing a database review through poker tracker and we noticed some stuff like uh, he was playing flatting too much in early position by a lot and three betting too much. Like his three betting stats were higher in early position than later position. And Amongst some other things, we were going through a hand history about like your homework this week is to filter your database for all spots in EP where you're presented in a situation to flat call there and pull up the hand charts and find out where you're flatting too wide because you're flatting too wide there. And so I'm like, that's like your homework for this week. And just to find out, I'm like, yes, we can go through it myself, but this is something that's a very, this is a task that you can do on your own that doesn't require like paying me an hourly rate to be like okay fold this hand not this hand like we have the chart like you understand this like type of thing and then so we're going to spend the time going through hand history identifying new leaks um because early on in the sessions it's all about just identifying leaks and then building a structure about how to improve those leaks and what type of like getting them on a good study and uh study routine like that so that kind of first homework is a it's a good sign of like I've had students where like, I'm like, yeah, I always recommend um, like mental game of poker, for example. And like when a student comes like, yep, I read it last week. I've read it. I'm listening to a second time on audio. I'm like, okay, like this is potential here versus you have some students who are like, yeah, no, I didn't really do it and type of stuff. Like you, you can kind of find out how dedicated someone is right away. Yeah. We, we can't do the work for you. We can show mm-hmm. you what the work is. We, you know, it's like we can lead the horse to water, but we can't make you drink. And if you're not willing yeah. to do the work, you're not going to improve. You know, we can't just force you to improve. Right. And I I love homework. I give all my students homework as well. And I've recently been implementing homework since it's cash games. I'm connecting them together for the homework. So like they'll have homework and they'll create this situation where they quiz one another back and forth. So players on a similar level are interacting, which I think is valuable as well. Talking to people who are around your same skill level, but, um, yeah, man, it, coaching is tough, right? Like even when you look at a hand history in a database, I found somebody can pull up a hand history. They can do all the right things. Like I can click through it and I'm like, this hand was played perfectly. And then I can watch them on video talking about why they did what they did. And they did everything for all of the wrong reasons. And it's like, oh my God. So I can go through your database, look through hands that are played perfectly and they're played perfectly for all the the wrong reasons. So it's still an issue and still something that needs to be worked on. Yeah. So people that have watched my content on poker coaching and also my students, they get incredibly annoyed by me because <laughs> every single situation, like, what are you doing here? They're like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm like, why are you doing this? Yep. And then it's like, well, okay, why are you, um, why are you thinking this way? Like what, when I say this factor, what does that mean to you? Like I, I would tell my students consistently, I don't care what you do. I don't care what the result is and what your decision is because you could be making the decision for the wrong reason or the right reason. And I can't really like, there's a whole nother thing with performance and making the right decision. But what I can do is I'm trying to fix the thought process. And there's a lot of times like, yes, I agree with you. I would do it, but for a slightly different reason, I'm going to raise here for this situation because I'm going to three bet ace queen off here because it's a hand that plays much better at a shallow SPR and plays much better at a lower stack depth rather than I'm going to three bet for X and Y reason. Like 
just being able to make those small tweaks and teaching them how to make decisions, I think is the important part because there's very few decisions that come up that are the same and being able to like the way I know things are clicking is when a student is able to apply one situation to a different situation, but use the same type of reasoning. Yep. Take one concept and then apply it to other similar concepts, but not the same. And, um, sometimes my student will do something where I have a different preferred line and I'll just ask them why, why'd you take this line? Why'd you bet three fourths? And they'll explain it. And the thought process and the logic is totally sound. And I'm like, cool. Like it's not even something that like I would bother correcting. It's just something that's, they would approach differently than me, but the logic is sound. So don't mess with the logic. If the logic is sound, the reasoning is sound, they understand the incentives and the objectives, and that's what they're working with. We're going to make different decisions as human beings. Like you and Jonathan Little are going to sit down and you're going to make different decisions. But that doesn't mean that either one of you is more right or more wrong. You just Correct. play differently and approach things in a different, you know, a different way. So I just thought of a good example. I had um, a coaching session yesterday and I was reviewing um, – tournament super deep stack playing like 200 big blinds like early on and he like opens ace king there's a flat and he gets squeezed and i'm like what are your thoughts here between four betting ace king and flatting ace king and he ends up flatting ace king he was saying you know this range range is like pretty strong it's linear and it's uh you know goes on i'm like so i'm happy i'm fine with your decision to flat i'm indifferent other than for one thing that you said that he's three betting a linear range. And I asked him, would you rather four bet here against a linear range or a polar range? And, and so I'm like, if he has a linear range, you're going to four bet and you're going to get called by like hands like eights, ace queen, king queen suited. You're going to get a lot of value from your hand. Yeah, we have and he's gonna have like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, versus a polar range. That's like aces and Kings here and Queens. And then a bunch of like, I, I don't want to four bet and have ace five fold. Like yeah. I want to flat then and keep those hands in. So then it was like, I kind of like saw the aha moment. I'm like, yes. Like when I said that, he was like, oh yes, I should probably four bet because it is a linear range. Exactly. Yep. And yeah, those, stuff like that. It's really cool when students can kind of see that. It's like, oh, Ace King has domination value. We're doing very well versus a linear range. Uh, against a polar range, we're just folding out the bluffs. And when we get it in, it's not super great. But yeah, it's uh, coaching, coaching, there's, how did it feel, by the way, like when your student has this realization and you know that they're going to take it on to the next tournament they play? It feels good. Like I've had, you know, just like playing poker, like I've had sessions where I finished up the session. I'm like that went really well. Like I really felt, felt like the student was engaged. I asked good questions. I feel like I provided really, really good value for that student. I've had some sessions where I'm like, you know, I felt like maybe I didn't explain stuff a little too well. You know, maybe it probably wasn't my best coaching session in a way but like you know it kind of where it's when you see the light bulb go off it's like a pretty good feeling in in coaching i would say too like a lot of times when it comes to content creation we're much harsher on ourselves than the audience is or that our students are there are some times where i have a conversation like on this podcast and my job is a facilitator right Like Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to make you shine and ask the right questions and get the value to provide to the audience. And that is my job. And I'll close it down. And I'm like, fuck, I just didn't, I I performed poorly. I I missed questions. This is, I didn't do a good job. And I'm like super down on myself. And then the, the episode gets released and I'm like looking at the playthrough percentage and it's like 99.2%. And I'm like, 
okay, so my perception of the conversation is just totally different than what the audience gets out of it. And some conversations I thought were super amazing and way less, right? So like we can, we're, we're horrible judges of how we do, but we're also human, right? And like you said, on Tuesdays, when your energy levels are low, sometimes I have an interview scheduled. I have a coaching session scheduled. My energy levels are just naturally low. We're human beings. That's just going to happen. Uh, I completely, like what you just said, like I can think of a couple of examples. So, and I think it has to do with maybe it's like skills we're not comfortable with potentially. So I wrote a section in Jonathan Little's book and I've never written like other than like school stuff. And I don't particularly like enjoy writing. It's not something that I I do, but I wrote a, a section on like tournament strategy for the book. And like, I was like, I think this is good, but I don't know. Like, I don't have anything to judge. I've never done anything like this before. And I, I it was like, um, kind of like, um, I didn't have confidence in it because I've never done this before. And like the reviews I got and like DMS or messages I got from people saying like, Oh, your chapter was like, helped me a ton. Like this was like, I'm like, Whoa. Okay. Like exactly what I was saying. We're like, I don't know if I performed very well, but like, same thing, like some webinars, like I do a webinar for poker coaching, there'll be 80 people in it. I'm like, eh, I'm not sure. And then I'll get feedback. Like, that was great. Excited about it. I'm like, okay, like people liked it and stuff. And I think like, I can be like harsh on myself for, and it's, it's more like where skills that either A, I'm like learning because I'm trying to be like a perfectionist almost too much and B, like in poker, you know, where I have high expectations of myself. So it's, a, it's, uh, it comes from mastery. Yeah. What's funny is it comes from mastery too, because like when we know a concept and it's just like as easy as walking, we, like it's just bread and it's our bread and butter. We know it inside and out to somebody who doesn't know it. Like when we explain it, it can seem boring or obvious or that we're not providing value, but to them, it can just be earth shattering and just open up a window that can change everything. And so I try to keep that in mind too. Like, 100%. We're not impressed with the stuff that we know because we know it so well. So we don't expect other people to be impressed either, even when, if they are. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, so we alluded to the 2010 WSOP. We don't have to talk about it. I know that uh, it's, it's <laughs> talked about ad nauseum at this point. I was gonna. I was gonna make the comment. You said sometimes I forget question. I said this is the longest I've gone in a podcast without someone asking about the 2010 WSOP. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to avoid it just for that. Like, who, who cares? <laughs> it's a thing that happened. Whatever. It's been talked about. <laughs> Let's learn more. You've heard me talk early and often about how improving your awareness while you're playing cards, so that you make better decisions in the moment and notice trouble spots that merit deeper consideration is one of the most valuable things you can do to make more money on the felt. In my conversation with the only four-time WPT main event champion ever, Darren Elias, he told me that his ability to shut out all of the distractions in the world and fully focus on making great decision after great decision is his superpower he most attributes to his success. And you cannot improve your awareness at the tables without being fully present. When you learn how to stay fully in the moment on the green felt, you can finally have a clear path to becoming the absolute best version of yourself, which leads me to Jason Sue. Jason is one of the foremost authorities on the planet when it comes to playing poker with presence. As a matter of fact, he even wrote the book on it. 
Here's a direct quote from Nick Howard at Poker Detox on Jason's ability to help you stay focused. Quote, Jason's work is a new paradigm in poker and performance. End quote. And these aren't just empty words. Nick has put his money where his mouth is by hiring Jason to coach up the Poker Detox crew. And as a loyal listener of Chasing Poker Greatness, you know by now that I would not be promoting anything I didn't 100% believe would improve your poker skills and your life. So if you want to master your emotions and perform at your peak with presence while doing battle in the arena, you'd be doing yourself a grave disservice if you didn't check out Jason's work at PokerWithPresence.com. One final time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. What do you think is the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey? I think about it sometimes where it's really, really cool to think that like, okay, I'm nowhere. I'm not number one in poker. I'm far away from being the best in poker, but like, it's really cool to do something where like, it's realistic that I could be like top 30 in the world. I'm not top 30 in the world right now. I'm not saying that, but like the potential to be like something like that. I hope that doesn't get taken the wrong way. You know how the social internet. Who cares, man? Just say it. Just be proud. Like like, I played, I played golf growing up, played basketball growing up, never was going to, you know, a didn't have quite the worth work ethic, but B like NBA zero percent chance. I was going to play in the NBA, but like in poker, like I'm playing professionally. I've been doing it for 12 years. Like one of the top 1% players in the world, you know, it's pretty cool to like, just think about that. And just think that like growing up as a kid who played sports, like we all had the dream of playing, you know, professional, being one of the best in the world, you know, shooting the shot in like the NBA finals or, you know, um, all that stuff. And it's like, it's a dream that's actually realistic. For sure. And, you know, don't have pride in yeah. your, your, your abilities, right? Here's something that will probably make you feel weird because it, it always makes me feel weird when somebody contacts me for coaching and I don't know, they have a different image of me than I have myself. Right. And it's like, had God's big toe on here, me and Jared Gavin, he's the one who contacted you and got, got you to come on the show. And he's like, he was talking about studying and his career and how thankful he was. And he's like, man, I'm just, I'm sitting here. I'm talking like, I'm talking to Matt Affleck about (laughs) poker strategy. Like what kind of a world is this? I'm, I'm having discussions with him. Right. Like, how does that make you feel as just as a poker player that people hold you in such high regard? It's like, it's crazy. It's weird. It's still like weird going to like a tournament and stuff and having people recognize you or it's, it's very, uh, it's very interesting. We went, um, (laughs) here's a good story. My girlfriend and I, like, what was it? Probably like three years ago, we went to Paris for New Year's Eve um, for like a week for vacation and we're on the what is it the Champs Elysees? How you pronounce it? I can't. I can never pronounce it in French. Anyways, but we're like it's like it's like midnight. And we're going in this famous macaroon shop, and we're waiting in line to get seated and stuff. And I feel a tap on my shoulder. Is these two random French guys, like probably twenty five to thirty, and they just point their phone up to me and they go, "Is this you?" And it's the video of the twenty ten WSOP that they're showing to me. Oh man. <laughs> That's probably one of the funniest like uh, stories of like being recognized. But it's like I'm in Paris on vacation and like someone recognized. That's pretty like crazy. Yeah, that's and, pretty like, insane. Thinking about that, it's like 
I don't know. It's it. I'm not like a, a fame guy. Like I don't. I don't. I'm not very like outgoing. Don't like search for the fame, fame or anything like that. But it's pretty, uh, pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, you're a genuine guy. You're you're an authentic guy, and you care, right? And that that always brings people in. Authenticity, people being genuine. People are drawn to that. Um, and then you kind of became like a poker meme, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like people will be like, like I play everything from like. 30s online to like 200s 300s online and stuff and like why are you playing this 30 dollar tournament get out of our game I'm like i don't know i have table space i'm playing it i like to play like or like i'm playing people are playing like why like why are you playing this 500 dollar tournament i'm like because it's fifty thousand up top and it's a very soft tournament that's like you know it's like people people think that like people they see are on like like in poker they think like oh there's these they're they're way different than all of us, you know? Right. And yeah. Like not like I play online five days a week at home. You know, it, 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 it's like a, a normal job for me. Like I treat it kind of like a job. So sure. it, it's, um, that's, that stuff I find is very interesting. And sometimes I don't know how to respond. Like I'm playing this tournament. Like, obviously I'm playing a 3,500 WPT. Like people know why I'm there, but like, why are you playing, um, like two five five to fifteen hundred to win. Like, isn't this like super small for you? All I'm like, oh, like the five ten game sucked. Like, yeah. I'm why are you game. playing it, man? I'm playing yeah. playing because you're here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, uh, Jeff Madsen was on the show, and Matt Matros was recently on the show, and those two guys are people that I saw on TV early in my poker career. Matt Matros makes like WPT Championship final table. Like 25K buy-in, first place is something absurd, like over $2 million. Wow. I didn't even realize that he final tabled that. Yeah. It, it was like very, very early in his career. His bankroll was less than $25,000. He, like, <laughs> he, like he won like a mega seat and then won his entry into the mega and then final, somehow final tables and gets there for like 700K straight out of the gate. And it's like, the perception from the outside is like, oh, this Matt Matros dude, like, he's baller. He's big time. And it's like, yeah, yeah. that's his first, like, his bankroll is 25K and now it's 750 overnight. Like, it's crazy. Jeff Madsen, bankroll, less than 10K, like, goes crazy. I think in the 2006 WSOP, wins like over a million in over like a three week stretch. And then everybody knows who Jeff Madsen is and everybody looks at him and they're like, you're just, a destroyer of worlds like overnight. So like perception doesn't always line up to kind of the reality in the world of poker because of the variance really. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. And like, I kind of took that route a little bit early on in my career online and stuff. And it makes me like the thing I thought of was like someone that um, I actually don't know personally at all, but I respect that. I, I watch some of the Twitch streams and stuff, but like, um, all in Pav is like if you look at his like shark scope grab, only plays tournaments and stuff, it's like pretty insane. It's just like wasn't like huge shot taking or anything like that. Like thinking like six year biggest score was like 40k and he's built himself up on stream from playing like three dollar tournaments to now he's playing like five hundreds and one k's and stuff and it's just, it wasn't like his graph is not like one big score. It's just like a steady kind of so like I respect that like a lot more now. Like the people that have grinded it up, yeah. Um, it's because for every it's, for 
for every Jeff Madsen and Matt Matros and even Matt Affleck, right? There are guys who are at a super high skill level that just don't get that. They, they variance doesn't happen and they don't get there. And I can't remember where I heard this, but I heard it a long time ago and it makes a lot of sense. It, it's very true in poker. There's a lot of really, really, really good poker players that didn't make it because of variance. They didn't have luck early on in their career. Potentially maybe they ran bad and they, all right, I don't want to deal with this variance. I'm going to go whatever. And then there's a lot of people that, you know, got lucky early where maybe they wouldn't, if that luck wouldn't have happened, like if they hadn't won that tournament, you know, they would have kept some bad habits, would have kept, you know, they wouldn't have had that cushion that that tournament allowed them that time to um, build their skills in the game. Um, And so it's kind of the timing of the variance is almost way more important than the the variance itself. Absolutely. Especially as it relates to like MTTs and big MTT scores, because yeah, like, like you said, there, there are people who really have no business having a poker career, right? That just got to exactly. run good right in the beginning and then just move straight down from there. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough industry. You need, to, you need to run good when it matters early on and not taking anything away from like any of the people that I mentioned. You know, it's just yeah, yeah. sometimes you just run good in your career. Like, I mean, I had be- it. I mean, myself, I, I had it. I ran good early in my career and it was like, it was a positive and a negative, but it was probably more of a positive because it gave me a lot of cushion for the negative. <laughs> yeah. So. You could, you could overcome a lot of mistakes yeah. uh, and losing a lot of money. You had a cushion built in so that you could yeah, recover it, eventually. Exactly. A hundred percent. What does your process look like for regularly improving your game? Kind of the last like two, two and a half years, I've really like rededicated myself. Um, there was kind of that, like I look back and I, not like regret, but like, you know, 2011 to 20, like 15, 16, where I kind of just didn't work on my game. There wasn't any online poker, um, just playing live cash, you know, I feel playing you. super exploitative. You, 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 you gain a lot of bad habits that make you a lot of money. They're not like bad habits per se, but like they don't teach you to be like, they, those habits are going to get you in some bad situations when you play better players. Um, but like, I've really rededicated myself, especially like this year, spending a lot of time studying, um, working with solvers a lot, doing um, kind of like I've scheduling out my um, study time has helped a lot. And I'm kind of an early morning person-ish. So like I normally like to study early in the morning. It's kind of like the gym for me. If I don't do it early in the morning, I'm not going to do it at all. Yep. I don't go to I, – if I don't go to the gym at like 9 a.m., I'm not going at 4 p.m. Because then I'm like, uh kind of hungry i kind of want dinner like, yeah let's just have dinner instead and then you don't want to go after you eat so eat your frogs um, first yeah so i like um i'll study in the morning for a couple hours um get you know, whatever stuff i need to get done um in terms of like schedule like i'm like like i said like four or five days a week i know we start around 3 p.m play all the american stuff um but in terms of like actual what i'm studying like a lot of like solvers but i've it's took a long time but i think i finally kind of learned how to use them efficiently in an effective way yeah which is uh, funny yeah it took uh it took a while <laughs> and there's a lot there's a huge learning curve with solvers yes most people are using them horrendously in ways that are very damaging to their poker careers yeah and probably the best way that kind of turned the corner for me was learning to script 
and running scripts and learning Excel and formatting and stuff. And just what being able to like, mean for the audience. Okay. So scripting will be, let's say I want to run. So for example, what it is uh, button versus big blind, 20 big blinds. And I'll run one setup where I'll put the buttons opening range at 20 big blinds, the big blinds defending range, all the various parameters. And instead of just running it for one flop, I'll run it for 184 flops. And this is something that will probably is like overnight, probably like a 12 to 16 hour process. And what it will do is it will create an Excel report. And what I can do then is sort the flops by, for example, like check percentage. Which flops am I checking a super, like it's going to give me my global frequency. Like you're going to check 33% of the time in this situation on all bo- across all boards. But there's certain boards we're going to check 70, 70% of the time. There's certain boards we're going to check 20%. So like I'll start to sort by um, flop texture and realize, okay, we're never checking any ace high board in this situation because the big blind is rejamming a lot of their ace X hands and they just, you just have a huge polarization advantage on this board. So not only are we betting always, we're sizing up a ton on these flop textures. And that way, now I'm starting to pattern recognition now. And like, which boards am I betting a small size on? What size am I betting a big, big size on? And I'm learning the differences in what type of pattern recognition that I'm seeing. Uh, for example, like, I'm always going to be checking back the highest on these low, like, low straight boards. Like there's a very clear pattern because the big blind has a lot better board coverage on those boards than the imposition razor. So we're checking back a ton on these boards and just learning that pattern recognition. And then I'll do it. The next level is I'll run button versus big blind for 40 big blinds, the same situation. And I'll have the same flop subset. And now I can compare how does this flop, what's my strategy change at 20 big blinds versus 40 big blinds. Well, now those 40 big blinds, the big blind has more ASEX in their range because they're not rejamming it at all pre-flop. And so I have to be, I'm doing a lot more, like some more checking on like ASEX boards now at 40 big blinds and learning. Now I'm learning the pattern recognition between stack size as well as the position. Um, and so it's, I look at PO as all about pattern recognition and you see very, very clear patterns in terms of A, how it plays certain spots and be what types of hands it likes to use in certain situations for like bluffing, et cetera. Yep. So um, you're bucketing it. You're, you're creating, yep, exactly. You're creating, creating different the, chunks and using a heuristic to navigate. Yeah. And it's not like about copying the strategy or anything, it's trying to find these principles and heuristics that I can actually apply in game. Yep. And then you ask yourself why, right? And then exactly. Then you compare Pio to how population is typically responding or how different player archetypes, you know, a rec player is going to respond differently than like a professional player. And then just developing strategy around that. Like it's a very intense process, this learning of poker. It's, it's a hard game. And it's like, I found out now, like I actually really like studying this way. And I didn't like studying before because I found like watching some videos and stuff. Like I just didn't enjoy it really. Yeah. Me and I, what kind of uh, – I resisted for a while getting a PO solver because I thought it was going to be this really high learning curve. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to spend the time right now to, like, learn it and stuff. And, like, once I finally did it, like, it doesn't take that long to learn how to use it in terms of using it. Now, learning, learning to use it effectively, like, yes, it takes some time. So but- greatness bombs here. These are greatness bombs. Listener, how do you use it effectively? What can – like, from a structural way – 
step one, step two, step three. What can the listener do to learn how to use Pio more effectively? Like in terms of like, just how to, how does it work on a basic level in terms of like setting up or? We'll go beyond how it works because I think that information is pretty easily Googleable. Yeah. but yeah. how do you, how to use it effectively and efficiently? So like, I would say first would be like, so take like that button versus big blind scenario. And let's say the flop is like ace queen five. What's change it, run it again for ace queen five with a flush draw. How does that change it? Change it to like ace nine five. How does it change when there's not a bro- another Broadway card that you connect with? Um, learn on these little subtle differences that you'll quickly notice patterns. And um, what I you want to run extremes. So how I run my scripts is I'll run button versus big blind and under the gun versus big blind. And then everything in between, I can kind of just merge the two. Extrapolate. Yeah. And so I'm trying to learn the extremes of like, okay, this spot plays way differently under the gun versus big blind because you're playing against a much tighter range versus big blind. And you can learn those two strategies well, and it helps you extrapolate it. Like I don't need to run cutoff versus big blind if I know how to play button versus big blind. So like run it at, let's say, 20 big blinds and then run it at 60 big blinds. What's the difference? Because that's a huge extreme now. There's a much deeper stack depth. So that same spot, if you don't even want to do a script, that ace, queen, five, how does it change? Change it to a 60 big blind stack. How does that change the situation? Now you're actually learning how to play deep stack versus how to play shallow stack. And there's some very, like, the biggest principle with, like, shallow stack play post-flop is protecting your equity. So, for example, on that ace, queen, five flop, I might check back a hand like eight, seven of hearts with a flush draw. Ace, queen, five, two hearts. And I might check back there because at shallow stacks, if I get check raised or even check shoved on, it's a disaster because now I have to fold that equity. Versus at like 60 big blinds, I can always bet that hand because I can always call a check raise and always call a turn bet and make sure I see the river. Yep. But when I'm at 20 big blinds, this is like a very consistent heuristic that you see that any draw that you can't bet call off you're mostly just checking back because your number one goal is to protect your equity and like that's the would be potentially the first thing the best example would be you have eight nine on jack ten five like that would be the perfect example of a draw you're probably going to check back because if someone starts check raising or check jamming with like ace jack or king jack it's just a disaster to have to fold that hand yep so now you're learning how to play shallow stack versus deep stack, and you're learn- that's an effective use of the solver. The effective use of the solver is not how to play ace, queen, five. It's what's the difference? How do I play it when I'm shallow stack versus deep stack? Or how do I play it versus under the gun or versus the big one? Yeah, and what are the goals, right? Like, what exactly. am I trying to accomplish, and what is a disaster scenario? It's like on the turn in a cash game when, like, SPR's four. And we bet in position, and villain check raises us. And we start trying to figure out if they're polarized, so if they have like gutters or if they have like combo draws and then they have sets, this is a hand that I'm not going to go into the hand. We broke it down in detail in my group. But basically the takeaway is villains not incentivized to check there, check raise there with a lot of combo draws because a bet three bet on the turn that folds out their equity is a disaster. So exactly. you don't want to check you don't want to check raise or you don't expect villains to have a lot of check raise uh, combo draws in their check raise range because if we shove, it's just horrible for them. So we can kind of deduce from there 
then what that check raise range really starts looking like and then start making better decisions with like overpairs and stuff like that. A hundred percent agree. Like that's learning how to play the situations like that and learning that's like a heuristic you can apply. Like it's the same SPR, like a 20 big blind SPR is going to be like between three and four. It's like the exact same situation you're describing on the turn. So now you can use that principle in heuristic also in that situation on the turn where maybe you started this, the hand 60 big blinds deep, but now it's a four SPR on the flop. On right. the turn. Yep. And, and if it's like, if the SPR is much more and you don't think that you're going to get bet three bet off your equity with any like frequency, or if they do bet three bet, they can't just rip it. They have to bet three bet some amount that you can still call. Then maybe it starts becoming more appealing to check raise with hands like combo draws. Yep. Um, so I know we've been going a while already. I've, I've missed all my questions, but let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's do lightning round here and we'll go through it fast. Okay. When you think about joy in your career playing cards, What's the first memory that comes to mind? Pretty cool to see. Like I've traveled a lot of the world at a young age um, for poker. I wish I was a little more like um, cultured when I was younger. Um, Don't we instead all? of like being poker, poker, poker. But um, yeah, like traveling around, um, really cool. And then also like just like recently, like grinding a lot the last few years. And then like just yesterday, like having the like, I mean, it's not going to change my life or anything like this world, but having like biggest score, like post black Friday. And it's just like, it's just like, it put a smile on my face and normally winning a tournament doesn't, but it was more not the money amount, but just like, I know I've been like working really hard. I've been studying a lot. What do you make of that? Calls. What do you make of, of winning a tournament and not putting a smile on your face? I'm not like big on, so I, I go back and forth. It's like, let's take like bracelets, for example. Okay. I don't have a bracelet. And right now, like, I don't really care about bracelets. Like, I don't think it's like a, I don't think they really mean much per se, but I also don't know if that's me like trying to like deflect because I don't have one yeah, or if it's because I actually don't like, uh, I've actually come to a point in my career where I realized like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Like I've had some final tables. I've had some close calls and bracelets, but like, to me, it's not like, you know, if I get second in a tournament, the WSOP for like, 300,000. Am I not going to be happy because I didn't want a bracelet? Like, no, it's going to be like, I remember a massive score. I remember a 2010 Mr. Matt Affleck that was not happy. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't like, I wasn't happy like at the time and stuff. And, um, but like, I remember saying in an interview later that night after a couple of beverages, like, I <laughs> distinctly remember like, Maybe this is the best that I didn't win because if I won $8 million, maybe I won't have like the drive and the passion. Like there's a chance I wouldn't be playing poker right now versus like that left me like hungry and still wanting more. And so like, it's a good way to frame it. It's like fueled my passion. Yeah. It's a good way to frame it. I still think you'd take the 8 million personally. Yeah, I would take the 8 million. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's funny how we look back to some of the worst times in our life that are a real struggle and hard to get beyond kind of in the moment we're emotionally devastated and we kind of look at them as turning points for the better. At least that's how I look at it in my life. I look at Black Friday as something that happened. It affected me in a massive way, but it changed my life for the better ultimately. And so we, we can always kind of look back and, and frame things in those way in those ways. But um, 
I don't know. I, it's hard to say. I guess you'd have to win a bracelet to see if you if it, how much it really mattered to you. Yeah, I, I'm 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 very curious what my reaction would be. Like, I'm actually like genuinely curious. I have no idea what my reaction would be. I'm curious too. Now, now I want you to win a bracelet just so we can have you back on the show and be like, yeah, were you just full of shit? Like, does it actually mean? <laughs> is it actually super important? And you're like, no, I was right. Like, I'd probably still just grind like. The fifty-five dollar ten k the next day, <laughs> I think so. for sure. Um, what do you think about pain in your poker career? What's the first? Thing? <laughs> <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even ask the question with a straight face. The, the people on the podcast can't see that we're actually looking, and like we're both just laughing at each other as you yeah. can't even get through the question. No, I, I want to be surprised on this one. When, when you think about pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I mean, the first memory is the main event, like, because that's probably like the one moment in poker where I can actually like remember like visually and stuff like what happened. It's but, well like, documented. Yeah, that, that's part of it. <laughs> like there was a crew that followed me around for like an hour and a half. And I didn't even know there was like a poker stars blog like Matt Affleck went outside and he sat down on the steps outside the Rio. I was looking up at an airplane passing by. Like there's like, literally a blog that followed me. I was like, what the? They're like live tweeting everything you're doing. Yeah. So um, obviously that, I mean, that's probably. It's there's got to be more painful memories though, right? Like what's another painful memory? Oh, I, I love poker. There's not a lot of like, even the pain, I don't really view as pain. Like I, it's all part of the journey. Like I kind of like, it, it's all, I love it. That's a good way. The to... ups and I love the downs too. Like I don't love the downs, but like, it's like once they're past, I'm like, yeah, I love it. Like I like, I'm better off because of it. <laughs> well, thank God the 2010 main event happened to you and not a lesser man. Because I was wondering like, what if I just flipped the table? Like, <laughs> what would have happened? Like everyone's <laughs> chips went everywhere. Like they just couldn't play. Like if I can't play, like, are they like bolted down? You probably would have tried to flip it and just like failed. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. That would have been... I've heard of people trying to like rip the cards, but they're like not rippable, and so they're like <laughs> struggling, <laughs> like struggling to rip them in half. God, I remember that tournament final two tables. Like I've never had a card rush like I had. Like even before the bust out hand, I had aces like two or three times, ace king a couple times, kings once, like. Flopped a set once, I think. It was like, like that whole tournament is just crazy. Like, <laughs> it's like a pretty, it's just a crazy tournament. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those things, man. One of those things. Let's see. If you could gift all poker players one book to read, doesn't necessarily have to be poker related. Yeah. What would it be and why? Uh, well, I know what the most recommended book is from listening to the podcast is the mental game of poker, which is, I do really recommend, but to recommend a book that I don't know. I don't think a lot, maybe some poker players, right? I would say like some personal finance books. So like the total money makeover and like, I will teach you to be rich by like remit. Yeah. Yeah, Remit. Um, Learning like just how to budget and stuff. And like problem I had a lot wasn't like, poker related in terms of like part of my downfall was just like I wasn't budgeting and it's like hard when you're a poker player where you're like oh this $200 meal or $100 meal it's like half a buy-in or whatever like who cares yeah but like 
ever since like I just fully separated everything and actually like budgeted out stuff, like it's been extremely helpful for me and it's helped my poker career a lot. And just uh, realizing like the opportunity, there's still like an opportunity cost of money. Whether like today, like, like, yes, I'm going to celebrate like my, like my general, like when I have like a score, we'll go to a, a nice dinner like once. Like that, that's how we'll celebrate it and stuff. But like, um, that money really isn't like mine almost in a way. Yes, that's I like realize. my EV, my EV over, you know, whether it's, I was below EV and I finally got even or I was above EV or whatever, but like. Just treating it like, yeah, treat yourself some, but I think most poker players should do really well with a budget. Yeah. And most, almost, almost more so than like your average American household, which almost like every average American household runs some sort of budget in a way. Like, um, and I don't know, I, I, I never thought of I, I would be someone, but like reading a bunch of first personal finance books and those two books specifically really opened my eyes to that. And it's really kind of helped my poker career. Yeah, those, those are greatness bombs. I mean, I... Coming from like, I'm same as you, as far as like a middle class upbringing. And it's like, maybe even lower middle class, to be honest, now that I look back on it. And it's like driving around trying to find like the cheapest gas station. Like, oh, this station's got it for 10 cents, a gallon, 10 cents cheaper, whatever. Like, when I was playing cards and making money, I never, I'm not going to lie and say that I've ever looked at the gas station prices because I still haven't because that's, (laughs) that's too yeah, I don't want to, but you know, it's just spending money, going out to eat all the time and like never tracking it. And it's like, who cares? You know, it's 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, lunches, $75, whatever. Let's do it. I'll pay for 100%. everybody. Um, yep. I'll start drinking at like noon and rack up a massive bar, bar tab that only happened one time. Nobody thinks that <laughs> massive alcoholic in my early twenties, but we're impulsive, right? We're, we're young. We're not emotionally mature just we're going to make bad financial decisions. And like you're, you were in finance, right? Yep. Like you got a degree in finance and you're young and made poor financial decisions. So like anybody can, it's the expectation really. Yeah. I have one more thing for uh, joy, by the way. Yeah. Um, like having a significant other now that like really like is very supportive of like the poker career and like understands it. And like growing it like up and well, not growing up, but like earlier on in my career, like thinking like, will I find someone that it's kind of an interesting, you know, profession. And it's, it's finding someone that's very like supportive and understands there's like tough, very like, there's very tough times in the career. There's very, very good times and uh, being like supportive throughout those. And uh, that's like really, really good joy. It, man, it's clutch. It can, it can make or break you as as a poker player 100% you you have to have somebody who understands the variance understand has the expectation that there's going to be times where we have a losing run of 2 months or 3 months um in the live poker world i can't even imagine the variance there where it's like a losing year is something that yeah. that's like a thing and just not get stressed out or be like, Oh, are you gambling? Are you playing bad? I can't take it. Like somebody that you're afraid to tell how much money you lost at the end of a session. These are not, these are not good things for your psyche, your emotions. Poker has too much pressure as it is without adding that on top of everything else. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like also too, for like poker players out there, like 
first, like, you know, having someone that's supportive, but like something I'm working on too, and I'm trying to be a lot more self-reflective is like realize too, like the sacrifices that they make being supportive. Like, like something probably like I'll travel like a week out of the month or something. I'll go to a tournament or, um, you know, there's days like I don't take Sundays off and, uh, she works during the week. So like her days are off days, like Saturday and Sunday. So like one of her off days, like she knows is like, I'm completely off. So it's like, it's a lot of like sacrifices in terms that they're making as well. For sure. The emotional bank account can get overdrawn and we have to make sure that we're present with our partners. Like whenever, whenever you're trying to achieve something that's very hard or you're pursuing an endeavor that is very competitive and you're trying to be like a top 30 player in the world, it is by nature that it is a selfish endeavor. You are going to have to be selfish, right? Exactly. You can't can't have it both ways. You know, uh, uh, my friend, Adam Creek, I remember asking him on my other podcast a million years ago, like, how does somebody be a world-class athlete, like a gold medal Olympic champion, while also being a great life partner, a great father, a great friend. And he said, it's very simple. You don't. You just don't. You have to make that choice if you're aiming to be one of the very best in the world. It's a very selfish pursuit. And so recognizing that and being grateful and appreciative to the folks who you know, are quite frankly willing to put up with our bullshit and willing to take, take the brunt of the sacrifice, be great. A lot of bullshit. A lot of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, it, it is a whole bunch. Okay, so if you could wreck the billboard, every poker player's got to drive past. What's it say? The first thing that came to mind was be more professional. I think a lot of pro- professional poker players are lazy and very, very unprofessional. In what way? Can you expand? I mean, they're kind of, I mean, I say this now because I've kind of learned a little bit, but like, they make the same mistakes I made early on in my career. They just think, oh yeah, like eventually I'll hit a big score, you know, just have to keep playing, you know, put in the volume, but like, they're also like, they don't want to make sacrifices. So I think a lot of poker players are, they expect things that they haven't done anything to deserve. Like what have they asking yourself? Like, I don't know where I heard this, but like, what have you done as a poker player? that makes you more deserving than the person next to you. Yep. Like, and the thing I like about poker is the people that work the hardest are going to make the most money. And I'm going to like, I'm going to outwork you. Like, um, That's you know, what I- my days right now are like, you know, not just playing, like I'm spending, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week off the table, plus 40 hours a week studying plus coaching plus, you know, like, it's like, I'm going to outwork you. And so it's kind of like, I think there's a lot of poker players that um, expect they have a they have a disconnect between their goals and what they're doing to reach those goals. I guess that's the best way to put it. The disconnect between those. Yep, and, and a why? Like why why are you going to make it when other people fail? What makes yeah. you special? What makes you different? It's easy for us to delude ourselves and to overestimate skill level, overestimate our importance, all of these things. So staying level, like you said, be, being humble and being a worker. It's a meritocracy. That's what's beautiful about this game. I love that it's a meritocracy. It's not like eight years ago where you could just wake up, play, or 10 years ago and just make money. You know, it's, um, I don't know, I view it like being more regimented in my 
schedule and stuff has helped me a lot in terms of just being being more prepared, you know, just being more professional about it has helped me a lot. Yeah. Taking care of your body, taking care of your mind, paying attention to what you put in your body, all of these things, they matter. And it, assuming that two human beings, atom for atom are exactly equal, the dude that's working out, the dude that's putting good fuel in his body is going to have an edge over the person who isn't the version of himself who isn't. So you got to be that guy. And that leads to also what's the hardest thing about poker and what I talk to students a lot about it is being able to like recognize like false feedback. Yep. Where oh recognize way, re- recognizing and that's the whole, that's the challenge. That's all of poker is being able to ignore the noise. You're going to get false feedback all the time. And just being able to recognize that you are doing the correct process and that that's really all that matters. And as long as you're doing the correct process, that's what you can control. Yeah. And the, the, all the noise is so funny to me because it, it works both ways, right? Like it can reinforce negative behavior and then it could give benefits to, uh, you know, it can reinforce negative behavior and then crush you for positive behavior and make you question your positive behavior. Like it's really hard to analyze it without biases and look at it and navigate your way through. It's just, it's a tough gig, man. It's a tough gig. Two more questions. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? I'm a poker player. So like, I mean, I'm coaching, which is something um, I'm getting passionate about and doing a lot of now. Um, Doing, I mean, pretty, doing a lot with pokercoaching.com, making a lot of content for them. And then, um, yeah, just, I mean, my life's pretty simple. Other than like, I mean, I play poker. My time that I'm not playing poker, I'm spending uh, with my girlfriend. You know, I'm trying to work and be more present and in, in be like in that time uh, with her. I'm a golfer. So um, I something I want to do as a project that I haven't done. So I, I played competitive golf growing up, but nothing where I was anywhere near good. I'm like an eight handicap now. And I'd like to get to the point where I'm actually able to put a lot of time in my game, try to get down to like, scratch and get back into like tournament golf um playing like the the like southern nevada golf association which one they they have a lot of like good local tournaments here and stuff i want to play more like some golf tournaments i think it'd be cool to play like a for people like the u.s amateur is going on right now i'm never gonna be able to compete in that like that's the best college players in the world but if i got down to like a scratch to qualify it you probably have to shoot like a 67 and it's like, maybe there's a chance if I have a career round one day, like it'd just be fun to play the qualifier. Yeah. Like, like, and th- there, there is an, at that point, like, you know, a non-zero chance if I get to that point where like, I could just career it and shoot like a 67 and qualify and get to go play with some of the best non-professional golfers in the world or something like, yeah, be kind that'd, of a cool. That'd be um, awesome. And I, I take offense by the way, when you, you said, I'm just a poker player. Hey man, we're capable. We can do other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we can have things that are, projects that are near and dear to our hearts besides just poker we're hobbyists that can have we can have other hobbies yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i'm just messing with you but uh final question where can the chasing poker greatness audience find you on the world wide web twitter mc matto poker mcmatto poker um i don't post a ton but i i read a lot on twitter so uh you can find me there on um, pokercoaching.com 
can find a lot of my content on there. Sure, if I want to put my email out there publicly for Frederick, <laughs> I'm probably not. But uh, if you're interested in like coaching, um, you can hit me up on Twitter um, or through Poker Coaching on the Poker Coaching website. There's links for uh, coaching requests. That DMs can, are up. Yeah. yeah. DM, uh, actually, I don't know if they are. To be honest, I'm not that sophisticated with Twitter and stuff. But if you if you tweet at me, say, "Hey, can you? I want to send you a DM about coaching or something." Then yes, I will send you a DM. Then. Yeah, sure. Surefire way to get more students is make them work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> make make, a, them, make them work to find you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can weed out the uh, I can weed out the player pool in that way. Yeah, that's a, that is a good way. Create some friction, man. It's been great having you on the show. Go enjoy your victory. Spend some time with your lady. Have an awesome rest of your day. Let's do this again in the near future. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, thanks. I'm. Not like relatively new listening to the podcast, but I've listened, listened to it a lot more in the last like month going back and I really enjoy it. And I think you're doing good work on it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, take it easy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.